I'm Carly Fiorina, and this is By Example. On this podcast, we sit down with leaders of all types to explore examples of real leadership and the qualities of all great problem solvers. I think we get really confused about what leadership is. On By Example, we lift up the real leaders, people who are focused on changing the order of things for the better and solving real problems that are right in front of them. Leading by example. Hello, and welcome back to By Example. This is Casey Enders, CEO of Unlocking Potential, and I am joined today by my co-host, Jeffrey Richardson. Hello, Casey. Jeffrey is our managing director at Unlocking Potential, for those of you who haven't had the good fortune to meet him. And today, we are talking about the episode that launched earlier this week and a couple of other related experiences that Jeffrey and the team have had all around the topic of... Race. Race. So charged topic, I think relevant topic, um, and one that we spent a lot of time in this office thinking a lot about. We we talk to folks a lot about leadership and collaboration and communication and diversity and inclusion. And so obviously race is a huge component of those conversations. Yes, indeed. And... You know, and and in these conversations we've been having, um, and not just, you know, this week's conversation that Carly had with Captain Ron Johnson. um, By the way, amazing conversation. If you haven't had a chance to listen, stop what you're doing, hit pause, go back, listen to Carly and Captain Ron Johnson. It's phenomenal. It is full of examples. I will say, particularly if you are a leader that has had, is having any sort of crisis in leadership and are trying to figure out what do you do when do you need to do it to stop looking listen pick your head up Mm. and figure out how do you keep going right to really like um, affect the change in the vision that you had listen to this podcast with captain ron johnson i'm telling you um it'll give you plant some seeds um that'll be helpful for you (laughs) so jeffrey You and Carly have had a number of conversations around race. You guys did a great conversation, also available on the podcast a couple weeks back. And you've had conversations with partners. And you're actually doing some work with a partner in Selma, Alabama. Yes, yes, yes. So tell us a little bit about where the conversations around race originated between you, Carly, and some of our partners. And then I'd love to dig in a little bit about your experience specifically in and around Selma. Yes, indeed. Definitely. Um, Well, some of you, the listeners out there who did listen to the conversation um, Carly and I had with our colleague um, uh, Marlo um, here at Unlocking Potential, uh, where we were talking about, so on the catalyst in the backdrop of some of the discussion in Virginia with the Virginia governor's handle, um, about how difficult it is, right, for us to still, 2019, to have some of the conversations that Um, are rooted in just acknowledging the reality of racism in America, the acknowledgement of the economic system of slavery and the present day outputs um, of that and how that shows up, not just in our political moments or not just um, when crisis hits, but how it has shaped and impacted the way we talk about and think about diversity and inclusion um, in America. And particularly given when we have opportunities like the scandal in Virginia where we're talking about blackface, you know, in the recent, not sure. too fat, you know, past history. Like, how do we take that opportunity to move forward, to acknowledge it, not just have the reactionary response to it, 
but then acknowledge this part of our history and then actually open up a dialogue where all parties can share perspective and think about how do we actually move forward. And I think that's where these conversations have started. I think Carly clearly uh, gets from all her years of experience the real intersection that when you start talking about organizational effectiveness um, in the private sector or nonprofit sector that we're not just talking about, you know, bottom line and money, but that our organizational effectiveness and our ability to solve problems comes from our people right. and that we have to create space for our people to bring their whole selves and all perspectives to the table so that we can fully unpack and solve problems. And if we can't get to the place where we can start to do that uh, more readily and be open to it, particularly around you know, issues such as race um, continually, right? right, here we are in 2019, then how are we going to be able to uh, get to the place where we need to be around some of these big problems of the day that many of them economically, social disparities wise, are rooted actually in those racial divisions here um, in America um, and, and, and in other places. Well, and I know, Jeffrey, you have some specific experience and thought leadership around this issue. So I know you work closely with the Center for Black Equity um, and you're obviously doing this work with Selma. You were actually in Selma on the anniversary of Bloody Sunday a couple weeks ago, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, I was down there with the Center for Black Equity, which is a partner of ours, uh, which is doing some really great work supporting uh, social sector partners and nonprofits across the country who are focused on equity and inclusion, particularly targeting black um, and LGBT and queer folks of color when it comes to health equity, economic equity. Um, and there's a partner in Selma, Alabama with the black, that has launched the Black Sheep Center. The Black Sheep it's Center? Called the, yes, the <laughs> Black Sheep Center. And where, where does that name come from? Well, you know, when you think of the black sheep of the family, right? Oh. When you think of the black sheep, the cast out, the cast away, um, right there on Broad Street um, in Selma, Alabama. Um, and the Black Sheep Center is a drop-in center, community center, and a refuge center for those most vulnerable in Selma, and particularly mm -hmm. targeting members of the LGBT community, and particularly members of the trans and queer community um, right there in Alabama. Wow. In yeah. A, that's not something I necessarily would have yeah. expected you to say in the center of yes. Alabama in life. The, in, in the Black Belt, right? Yeah. Right there in the Bible Belt, right there in Selma, Alabama. And it was so empowering for us to be... I'm aware of not only just the work, because looking at, you know, this is a group of folks who are targeting services towards the LGBT community and right. transgender and queer community, but not but serving the whole community. And it came out of the reality that there um, is uh, the founder of the Black Sheep Center um, is a trans man hmm. um, from the area um, who came back home um, to Selma and saw a need, not only a need for her, for himself um, and his family, but his, for his community. And so the service has come out of a need directly aligned with uh, with his needs and the, the vision he had for possibility for himself sure, and his family. Sure. Like we all say, people closer to the problem. Yes, yes. He understood and knew yes. and lived and breathed it. And so he experienced the need and was yes. therefore much better positioned to yes. And develop the solution. similarly to Captain Ron Johnson decided to show up and be present in community. 
it was important for him to be present. He was coming back home, been to school and working away, um, other places in the state, and came back home. And it was important for him to be fully present in community and seeing a need. And so him and his wife, they leveraged resources, um, showed up, city council support. You know, I forget how many members of the city council, but all but one supported them across party lines. Amazing. You know, because there's a need in community, and this person showed up and was willing to gather resources, has put together a group of change warriors, as we call them, around them. And they're doing work in Selma, not just targeting the LGBT community, but showing that we that folks from community can come together, leverage resources, see a vision of other than impossibility and really begin to build bridges right to the other side, begin to sort of work with folks. And they're working with folks that you wouldn't think would would be supporting their work because they're targeting and focusing the LGBTQ community as a focus area, but working with all. Um, and so it's exciting for us to be able to partner with organizations like the Center for Black Equity that have reached in communities that are really that are the example. Right. Um, there's a lot of folks that know Selma because of Bloody Sunday and the civil rights movement. But that's all they know about Selma and has and maybe haven't kept up with what's happening in this across the South. We hear stories of sort of economic challenge. Sure. Um, but Selma is one of those places. And so for a fact that folks in that community are saying, well, you know, others may only remember us because of, you know, the civil rights movement and that struggle. Uh, But we're still here today and we're continuing to fight for our own, you know, equity and access. And so being able to work um, and help build up leaders like that who are having the difficult conversations, you know, so that difficult conversation is a, uh, a black a trans man in Selma, Alabama, working with all kinds of folks, right, to serve the community. And so therefore, as a byproduct, having to uh, force acknowledgement of some realities of uh, opportunity and difference, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and creating that landscape. Um, and so it was wonderful to be there for the commem- this year's commemoration of Bloody Sunday um, for myself, my grandmother was actually born and all her siblings um, in Selma, Alabama. I didn't know that. Yes, yes, wow. yes. And I, I got the opportunity actually uh, to go back and drive by the neighborhood, the homes, that, the particular house. Some of the homes are still there, but her particular house, their house wasn't, isn't still standing, but I could see the lot on the other side of the train tracks. And it was just sort of a, an amazing thing yeah, to sort of moment. to think about. Um, that time and my grandmother having been alive during that moment on Bloody Sunday and how important those commemorations are because again you know oftentimes when we've gone through an experience right we want to forget about it but it's so important that we can't but we can come back and recognize um, that we've come through it and that we stand here today as an opportunity to continue to build community the work is never done and so the folks in Selma who continue to commemorate um, Bloody Sunday and have the Jubilee commemoration every year are using as a reminder because it helps build catalysts to build community and remind folks that we can get through these hard times if we tap in if we have a vision of possibility um, that we can overcome adversity and that others will join us in it right Well, and I love the way you talk about leveraging an opportunity to remember and honor our history, good and bad. Yes. uh, And then not not only to focus on 
the lessons learned as they applied to that time period, but the lessons learned as they apply to today, right? Yes. So, so directly applying that story history commemoration to the experience of, for example, a black trans man in Selma, Alabama, something that's literally inexplicable in the original context, in the original history, mm-hmm. but that today is so deeply relevant and that the lessons learned, you know, still very much applicable to a set of leaders in the community today. And I think, you know, you made a great connection back to Captain Ron Johnson and I think similarly, you know, it's this story too, right? That he he's clearly um, taken a set of lessons he's learned throughout his experience in history, um, has applied them in Ferguson, Missouri, and is still applying them in, yes. in Ferguson, Missouri. He didn't walk through that experience and say, great, now here's something where there'll be a memento, there'll be a memorial, you know, there'll be a... Um, there'll be recollections and honoring of this moment in the future. He said, great, this is a real valid moment in time that, a, that whose lessons and stories we should be applying today in a real tangible living way. Yes. Yes. And how can he now take that experience that he has reflected on and those lessons and share it with others? Absolutely. And the power of, you know, again, um, you know, Mr. Bell uh, down in Selma, Alabama with the black sheep center who could, you know, look at their his own, you know, experience and reflection and say, wow, I've, you know, realized this for myself yep. um, and just say, oh, I'm good. But no, that's not enough. I need to create safe space and space for others in my community who are vulnerable and without to also feel empowered and also see possibility for themselves and have, um, yeah, and see their own and, and, and tap into their own leadership. So, Jeffrey, how can I don't mean to put you on the spot here. Um, we've had conversations similar to this one, but how can someone like me, uh, a white woman, um, how can I participate in honoring and remembering and recognizing things that happened in Selma, Alabama, in Ferguson, Missouri, and continue to be a productive ally in the race conversation? Yes. You know, it takes me back to um, rephrasing something that actually Captain Ron um, uh, Ron Johnson uh, mentioned in the in the interview, and it kind of goes back to this theme of motivation. I think if you're if you're that person, if you're a, a, a white woman who uh, wants to be a part of that conversation, have an influence, or, or anyone else, it goes back to that core motivation. And I would and I say take some take some time and moment if you haven't to get a vision for yourself of what that truly looks like in mm-hmm. regards to that image of change. Right. How you hope to, uh, you know, and to, to have an impact on how. What if I don't know? What if I'm like, I know that maybe the end point, mm-hmm. I know that I want to be a productive participant in reaching a vision where there is more equity and equality for everyone regardless of race but i don't know what the the steps are to be that leader well i think again going back to captain ron the step is to step forward and be present where you are with that mindset Mm -hmm. so as he did shed the trappings right Mm -hmm. of our title position of power shed the trappings of our identity frames right so i would say in many ways shed the the trappings and confinements that would say as a white person or a non-black person or any person that hasn't shared an other experience and allow yourself to be present in the mindset of wanting to contribute to change and positiveness and you'll be surprised. I mean, for folks out there, it's like, oh, that's not tangible enough. What you should do will show up for you. It will manifest because you're present. Mm. I think oftentimes my experiences and conversations I've had, particularly when the race conversation with white allies or um, in the LGBT conversation with LGBT, you know, non-LGBT folks, after the fact, it's been folks felt like, 
I should have said something. I was in the moment. It's kind of like we talked about the bystander yeah, conversation yeah. in a yes, lot of different yeah. ways. And folks just like, oh, I'm, I felt I should have said something. Or I wanted to participate. I wanted to go to that event. I wanted to, well, stand in your authenticity and be present in your authenticity. And, oh, my God, the transformations that will come, the conversations that will happen, mm. um, the friendships that will build, the change that will come because other people will see and witness you being the example and being present in your authenticness. So if that's who you are, uh, don't uh, put on the character of what you think it feels like or looks like Mm. to be that ally or be that just authentic present person. Just be that person Mm. and, you know, follow uh, your path and your way. I love that. I love that little uh, plug for the book there. (laughs) For those of you that didn't catch it, we've been talking about finding our way and following the path all week here. um, Because Carly's book uh, does come out on April 9th, Find Your Way. So I think that was an excellent seam. It was almost too subtle and seamless. I (laughs) I was like, wait, let me call it out. That was a a shout out for the book. Um, Well, this is, as always, Jeffrey, I feel like I learned so much from having conversations with you. As do um, I. It's the best part of my week. Oh, me too. It's my, it's truly my favorite part. So, uh, for you listeners, hopefully this was an informative and helpful and productive conversation. You learned as much as I did from Jeffrey. And please know that there's always a seat at the table here for you at By Example. And on behalf of my wonderful, delightful, wise and experienced leader of a co-host, Jeffrey Richardson, and myself, this is By Example. <laughs>